I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the UK Film Review podcast. I'm Andrew Young. I'm taking on hosting duties today in place of our glorious leader, Chris. Uh, I'm joined for this podcast on European cinema by Joyce Cowan. How are you, Joyce? Hello. Hello. Very well. Very um, happy to be here with you guys. Good. Good. Uh, Jason Knight is also here. How are you, Jason? Doing fine. Thank you. Good. And last but not least, we have Lucy Clark as well. Hi, How are you, Lucy. I'm in good. good. Thank you. <coughs> Lovely. Okay, so as I said there, we're talking about European cinema today. So this week marks uh, 20 years since the release of Jean-Pierre Jeunet's Amélie. So this is a film I think we all like here and we're going to talk about later. So in its honour, we're going to be talking about not just that film, but some of our other favourite European films as well here at UK Film Review. Um, So this week's normal topic is European cinema, which we're all aware is pretty broad, but uh, we aim to keep this kind of a tight, hour 90 minutes and if we attempted to discuss all of european cinema properly it'd be closer to a tight decade so instead of aiming to give a thorough overview it's just each of us four rambling on about our personal favorite things it's a narrow focus you know we're missing out a lot sally the films that are coming up today are quite us european heavy but it's just a kind of brief overview that perhaps for people whose viewing habits don't include much that involve subtitles and foreign language films people might listen and hopefully you know you as listeners will get some tips and hints on things you might want to check out so we're all going to kind of take a topic and lead on it that really interests us some are going to talk about just one film or director or a movement or whatever and yeah and then we'll just as long as it's got subtitles it's fair game today so um and then we'll all just go from there so it's gonna be a great time and i hope everyone enjoys so lucy why don't you kick us off? Hello. Um, so I will be talking about my favourite director. I think pretty much tops all of the directors that I've seen, the work I really like. 
um, German director Christian Petzold. Um, he's not very well known, even in really, really filmy circles and with really quite cinephile people. Um, so I currently study my master's um, film studies and very few people have heard of him, but he's a German director and he's working now. And I actually got into him because I studied German before and my friend and I were absolutely obsessed. And he often um, works with stories to do with romance and love, but there's lots of kind of longing as well. And if you read any of his interviews, he's obsessed with the idea of making sure that love and romance doesn't become this automated kind of Tinder experience. So throughout a lot of his films, there's so much spontaneity and um, kind of people meet people meet by chance as well. Um, but it isn't kind of Hollywood, lovey-dovey, romanticized. It's very much in the style of something like Casablanca. So it's not quite mel melodramatic, but it's quite fraught with reality. So most recently he did a few, he does, he works in trilogies and um, he recently completed one of his trilogies called um, Love in Impressed Systems. And these are three unrelated works that all kind of joined together by one kind of theme. So you don't need to watch them all in like similar kind of, you don't need to watch one after another, but they are all kind of individually stand out, but they're all about kind of people working in places and in, in countries that really oppress them, but they still find kind of love and joy despite that. And so these are kind of three of one of my favorite films. And um, firstly, it's, there's Barbara, which is a film from 2012. Um, and it's about a woman in kind of Soviet Cold War, East Germany, who is um, cast out from Berlin and um, she has to live in the countryside because she tried to escape German, well, she tried to escape to West Germany. And um, it's all about how she just distrusts all of society. So if you did enjoy something like The Lives of Others, which is probably one of the most famous recent German films I know of, um, this is similar, but better. <laughs> um, I think Lives of Others can be very, grey and depressing and the characters are not particularly well fleshed out but um, in Barbara everything is kind of a bit slower and taken more into consideration so um, while Barbara the title character is kind of trying to escape um, East Germany she's aware that the doctor who she's a nurse so the doctor who she works with is watching her and he's kind of wondering what she's doing but you know, trying to make sure she doesn't leave to West Germany. So it's kind of all about surveillance, but there is this thread of romance working through it as well. And that's really kind of similar with a lot of he, a lot of his um, kind of films. Um, so Barbara is my favourite one at the moment, but he most recently kind of, they're all very kind of similar, but very kind of interesting. And the weird thing is, is I don't think I've, really experienced films like this before but there'll be moments and snippets within his films that you'll be thinking about for days and you'll just be dwelling on um and so it's just like really interesting because you think the plot's quite simple it is usually just about two people finding each other and losing each other but there'll be something within the 
the cinematography or the way it's filmed and the way it's shot that will really, really stay with you and you'll just end up thinking about it all the time. So yeah, I will definitely recommend them. And if I've been a bit vague, please let me know. <laughs> no, not at all. I was just happy to keep let you keep running on and on. I don't think any have any of the rest of us seen any other Christian Petzl films. I haven't, but I have to say that the way that you've described the work sounds very much like um, something else I've seen, which I'm kind of I'm cheating here because it's not a film. It's actually a mini series. It's a German mini series called uh-huh. Generation War. Yes, I don't yes. know. Um, and it's it, again the your points about you stay. It, it's it's you you can't stop thinking about it for days, and it was literally days. So I think that. Um, yeah, the the way that the Germans do films and and construct the, their scenes and their dialogues, this yeah, I have to say this um it, it really resonated with me. But of course, I have to check these films. I have to explore them a bit more. But I can really see where you're coming from, actually. So yes, Generation <laughs> War. I saw that ages ago, but mm-hmm. that stayed with me for a long time and probably got me interested in German cinema, which. I think on the kind of world stage, German cinema isn't something that you particularly think of. You, you probably think more French or Italian. Yeah. Um, you know, German, modern German cinema maybe isn't the first thing that comes to your mind. Mm-hmm. But genera- Generation War is particularly fantastic. But if you want to be like, well, I wonder what this Christian Petzold guy has to offer. He's yeah. actually done a very similar film to um generation of war almost and it takes place in the aftermath of the war mm-hmm. it's called phoenix this film and it's about a woman played by the same um actress who played barbara in, in the his 2000 film from 2012 um who has been badly scarred in world war Two. she's just mm-hmm. come out of a concentration camp and she's on the look out for her husband who has gone missing but there's many kind of questions of like whether the husband actually kind of like sold her to the Nazis or like gave her hiding place away, but she doesn't believe it. And it's very interesting because then she does find her husband and he doesn't believe that she is his wife. So it's kind of oh, quite wow. Hitchcockian. And it's, I don't know, I think his, his films, while they're really modern, they have this kind of, lull back to like the 1940s or 50s with like a kind of Hitchcockian Casablanca kind of vibe which is great Mm -hmm. I mean I love films from that era anyway so if someone modern is doing it now then that's all the better for me (laughs) yeah yeah awesome that that sounds yeah it's it's great I mean something somebody that I think has kind of it flown to the radar and when we think of European cinema I think particularly in fact, in general, I think a lot of modern stuff that we're talking about isn't always what springs to mind. I think people, when they think of Europeans, they think of old stuff in particular as well, kind of like classic French cinema and things like that, and people like Fellini in Italy and stuff. But there's people working, you know, right now, like Christian Petzl, who are really exciting and interesting. And you mentioned, I just want to ask, actually, Lucy, you mentioned um, in Bavara and uh, Phoenix, it's the same actor. Yeah. Um, it's Nina Hoss. Is it Nina Hoss? Nina Hoss. Yeah, I think, I think you know, she's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, but what, yeah, because I was just uh, shamelessly missing out having a flick through, um, having a flick through hit the the IMDb. He's um, she's in 
most of his films. He's in lots of his films. Yeah. Yeah. He has a really interesting way of casting people. So um, he will cast people. So Nina Hoss has been in lots of his early works. Um, But also her partner in both Barbara and Phoenix are played by the same guy, Roland Zerfeld. And um, then recently in his last two films, Transit and Undina, which came out this year and is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I've been trying to tell people to watch it and they're just like, (laughs) why? It's a a mermaid film. And I was like, just just watch it. Um, But he's kind of switched it up now and Nina Hoss is no longer kind of the lead anymore, but it's now Paula Beer and Franz Rosowski. I can't, I don't think yes. I pronounced his name right. Um, but what is really cool is that instead of constantly casting people, it's almost like he will work really, really work on this relationship with the actors. So even if the plots are different and the relationships are different in different films, there is this tension or this chemistry that connects the two actors that will just keep going throughout kind of the filmography which I find a really fascinating way to work because most directors I think don't like reusing the same actors if it's in a completely different role or if kind of there's something where um, because for example in Barbara Roland Zerfeld in particular plays a very different character to what he does in Phoenix, which is almost like the absolute opposite. So I think maybe some directors wouldn't be, would be a bit kind of scared to do this because they think maybe that the audience would get a bit, not necessarily confused, but a bit taken aback that maybe their favourite character had just transformed into a completely different one, but they're played by the same actor. But I think it's just interesting that Christian Petzold is obviously really focused on how well um, chemistry and um, kind of, I don't know, emotional connection between two leads um, works throughout a film. And he's obviously very careful about who he casts in his film, which I'm really kind of, you know, in awe of. I think it's a great move. Yeah, I think that is really interesting because I think sometimes when there's that partnership is there as well, we think, oh, this is a such and such and such and such film, you know, because we've seen 10 of them before, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it sounds like by deliberately subverting that and always putting in, a, putting Nina Hoss or Paula Beer or whoever in a different role, in a kind of very different role, but it subverts people's expectations a bit and means it's not quite what we expect from a, yeah. a director-actor kind of partnership, which I exactly. think sounds really interesting, actually. I yeah. think... They're, they're kind of his muses, but they're kind of not. Like, he's not kind of making films for them to have the best kind of character that is, I don't know, just really shows off all the kind of good bits of humanity. It's, it's, it's a bit more kind of nuanced, I think, rather than just, oh, look, they're really kind of talented and they look good on camera, let's just have them. I think there's something a bit deeper going on which I think is just a really interesting way to kind of approach filmmaking as well, because I do think he really sets himself apart from kind of other European directors. And it does kind of make me a bit kind of surprised that he hasn't quite broken out onto the world centre stage that maybe Celine Siama has or mm-hmm. other kind of various kind of European directors that 
you know, people just know and are just excited to see. I'm, I'm always surprised that he's quite kind of an underdog, if it were. <clears throat> yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, I've noticed that because I think I've seen some people's reactions to his films, like your own, and they're just raving about him. And I'm just thinking, why Why is this guy not not beloved? You know, why am I not hearing his name everywhere? But do you think do you think it's because there are dissenters maybe? Do you think he's he's not to everyone's taste? I think he worked like if you are the kind of person who I don't hmm, this is a good question because I'm 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 struggling with it because I'm just <laughs> really into his stuff. But I do think if you are already predisposed to liking kind of it's not really melodrama because it's not got that silliness to it that's inherent with melodrama. But if you do like um, stuff like Casablanca, it is mm. catered to you. But if you're a bit more um, kind of sceptical of these kind of overarching love stories, then maybe not. But at the same time, I'm always a bit confused why he doesn't come up because I'm not sure what there really is to be really awfully kind of against because mm. I'm just like well yeah. you could like it and you could hate it that's absolutely fine but I'm not sure what there is to be really oh we're not going to watch him you know he, we're not going to recommend him to anybody um in such a way that he's become such an underdog and I really recognize this with um Mark Kermode who hasn't actually mm. said anything about Christian Petzold I don't want to say that he has but <laughs> recent well um Undina, his Christian Petzold's latest film came out, and I was expecting Mark Kermode to do a review. Um, yeah. And there was absolutely nothing about it. It got completely shoved under the rug. And I'm just sat back here thinking, but it's come out in the UK. I'm pretty sure Mark Kermode covers everything in the UK. And I'm, I don't want yeah, to yeah. anything bad about Mark Kermode. I think he's a great. Yeah, we don't know exactly why, do we? But um... Yeah, exactly. And it could have just been something to do with the BBC or whatever. But I just found it very weird because there'll be certain European directors who do get a lot of attention. And it's weird in my mind that Christian Petzold doesn't. And I'm not even sure if there is a particular reason for this kind of overlooked aspect of his kind of mm. films. Do we think? Do you think maybe it's the perhaps the lack of a star? Maybe I mean, I think Nina Hoss is known to some audiences over here. I think she's in Homeland, and um, she sings as well. I think, doesn't she? And but maybe you think perhaps particularly when you look at some French films in particular. You know, you look at there's some big stars there. Mm, you know, you've got yeah. if if you've got Juliette Binoche in your film, or Isabelle Huppert, or a, people are going to watch it because it's Juliette yeah, Binoche. I think you know, yeah. it can, it, there's a kind of um, curiosity for watching foreign language films, perhaps that have still an accessibility and a marketability towards an Anglo audience. Definitely, yeah. Because of a, star, a crossover star is the other reason. Somebody yes. who's done English language <laughs> and or or a director that has dabbled. I mean, this is perhaps something we can touch on. I think most yeah. of, almost all of the people we're talking about today actually haven't made any um, films outside their own language or not many, and, and particularly not in English. Um, whereas you see, you know, a lot of foreign language actors will make something, you know, mm. um, uh, just last year, another round, uh, the Thomas Vinterberg film, Thomas Vinterberg, yeah. the Danish director, great film, great film. 
Um, something I just want to give a shout out to actually because we're not going to get much of a chance to mention it. But he, for example, is known because he made uh, Far From the Madden Crowd. He made Kursk, both in English. And I think maybe some directors carry that crossover appeal by flipping between languages. Bong Joon Ho is another one. I'm obviously yeah. not European, but um, do you think maybe it's because of he's, you know, resolutely making German films in Germany and in German that perhaps he doesn't have that appeal and without big stars as well? To a degree, yes. But I'm also, I, I don't think his films would necessarily have mainstream appeal because I do think there's a reluctance in kind of mainstream audiences to go to the cinema and mm-hmm. read as well as watch, um, which is absolutely yeah, fine because I do think there is a kind of, you go to the cinema to relax <laughs> and you might not necessarily want to read subtitles. Um, but I do also think that in kind of communities of like cinephiles, people who are deeply interested in film, he he does get weirdly missed out of the conversation. Um, and these are people who would probably know a bit more than just kind of your regular Joe or whatever. So I do just get quite surprised that he's missed out. But I think maybe a potential reason could be the fact that a lot of his films, um, apart from his latest film, Undina, are really, really focused in German history. And whereas something like Lives of Others, which I did just mention, um, would really benefit... Well, Lives of Others, you can watch that and it can be a non-German person's entry into understanding kind of um, East Germany. I don't think Christian Petzold does that. I think you've got to have a little bit of knowledge before you go into... Yeah, before you go into his films, before because otherwise you'll just be like, well, what's what's East Germany or what is really the state of um, Germany after 1945? There's not a lot of kind of hand-holding and, um, you know, those kind of blackout screens where they type the text across to explain what's going on. Um, I think he expects his audience to be quite knowledgeable anyway um so i think um if you are german then all of that information is going to be kind of known anyway you don't have to really learn it um because you probably taught it in school but if you're coming from um outside germany and you want to watch his films and you could be thinking wait a minute i don't understand Mm. you know really what's going on um and i don't really know how to kind of um find out about this i'm not sure because it doesn't really really explain in massive detail and probably for that reason i would say if you want to start off with christian petzold films but you're a bit intimidated by all the history um i would say start off with his latest film undina because that's got very little to do with history unless you really want to kind of look in kind of deeply one of the main characters is a historian but it's not really important to the plot um, because that Undina is a kind of mermaid um, tale inspired by the myths of this um, water nymph Undina, um, who, if she if somebody breaks her heart, she has to go and kill them, which is quite quite dark. But yes. it's also very realistic; like she's not portrayed with like weird CGI or anything. So I would say that is probably the best one to start off with because you 
you're not put mm. on the wrong foot, if it were, if you're unfamiliar it's a bit more with accessible, Germany. Yeah. It's definitely more accessible. And then if you really like that, then you can just dive headfirst straight in and um, you'll probably feel a little less intimidated, if it were. Yeah. Ah, well, I feel like we've all been enlightened a bit there, Lucy. <laughs> uh, I feel like you're <laughs> flying the flag for Christine, Christine Petzold and we... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, great. Okay. Uh, wonderful. Should we? We'll move on to something slightly different. Jason, what have you? What do you want to champion? Well, I'd like to focus on uh, the 1995 film La Haine. Yes, wonderful film. Well, it's a rather dark film. Do you, have you have you guys seen it? Yes. Yes, no, I, I have. Yeah. Yeah, I love that film. I haven't. I have. It's a rather dark film. It focuses on, and it takes place in Paris, and it follows three friends. And it just, sorry, it's about three friends. It, the story takes place after some riots, and the the police have beaten up a guy and left him in the hospital. And the three friends are angry, are angry about that, and they they also find a gun that one of the police guys lost, and they set up. And they basically walk around. It takes place during 24 hours and they just decide what they want to do. They spend most of the time getting into trouble and doing this and that. And they talk about how much they dislike the police and society. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, I know it's, a, it's quite an angry film, isn't it? It's quite... Yeah, it uh... is. It is called yeah, hatred. It, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Of course, yeah. It's line translates to hatred, doesn't it? It's quite a, um, yeah. It's an angry film, but it was quite a, a big film in France, wasn't it? I think it had this, yeah, yeah sure was. impact on society. Yeah, yeah you I said, think... yeah. Go on, Lucy. Go on. Sorry, um, I think it was kind of directly filmed after some really awful riots in France, um, mm-hmm. and where I think a a young Turkish boy, or I don't know, a Muslim boy was killed. And um, because he lived in the Paris banlieue or the suburbs um, where there were lots of riots and he was killed and, and there was massive amount of riots because he was killed because of police brutality. I could be completely m- misremembering it. Um, but in a response, La N was created and it really captures that anger. And I, I love it. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's a. Uh, it is very much to, to do with race relations. It's to do with police brutality and mistreatment. And and I think this. The, I mean, I, I I studied line actually when I was doing an eight. I did an A level in French years ago, and I remember kind of learning about it as this film that showed you a different side of Paris. I think. I think to a tourist, to an outsider, for us. Mm viewing this French film, we see Paris and we think it's kind of city of light, city of love, beautiful mm. place, all kind of, you know, it, it kind of quite fairy tale like And then actually, mm. like any big city, it's got people living in it and it's got poor areas and it's got neglected people and it's got those tensions that happen in most big cities, particularly what happening in Paris at this time, like you say, Lucy. And I think the film does a really good job of just saying, no, look, this is what life's like, you know. This is not all, you know, Eiffel Towers and and love and baguettes, you know. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting, Jason. I think you were going to mention Amelie as well, weren't you? Yes, Amelie is quite a contrast that two thousand one yeah, film. Exactly. Yeah, it shows the bright side of Paris. The one, the one everybody wants to see. It's about this uh, young woman. She's a waitress, and she has an epiphany, and she decides to help everybody around her. It's a nice, very uplifting film. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's quite, um, it's quite funny in places, isn't it? Do you think, Jason? Yeah, it does have its funny parts. Yes, it's also a romantic film too, but mostly I'd say it's a comedy. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's quite, it's got that kind of comedy drama tone. Yes, and interestingly, you say about the romance in it, the the lead male actor in that, um, Matthew Kasovitz, directed Lahaine, which is kind of ironic given that we're talking about them in this in terms of this contrast between the two. Um, that there's actually that link between between Amelie and Lahaine. Um, Lucy Joyce, are you fans of Amelie? Oh, yes. it used to be like my favourite film it's still up there very much so mm-hmm. but um it's been kind of usurped by other films that I've seen more recently mm-hmm. but when I was about 14 I was like I'm going to go to Paris and I'm gonna um you know put my hand through the bags of barley or whatever she does and I'm gonna be like mm-hmm. Amelie she was definitely a big role model <laughs> yes yeah I remember watching it it was like a very um sort of it, it was a weekend sort of lazy drowsy day and we just watched it and it, it just made me feel so good about life in a really calm way it had this really strange effect that I have to say no other film has had so far so um I guess it's a sign of a great film um yeah it's beautiful as well I yeah really and... like that it's quite quirky as well without mm-hmm. being fantasy-ish it just plays into the fact that she is this imaginative person and so is he because he collects this book with different people that he figures out who is who from the um the photo automat and I I just think that's really magical that it's not down to them being kind of magic or fantastical they just have this kind of innate sense of imagination and they're just shy people who kind of need to find each other but they've got the whole city and they need, she's got the book and she's got to find him. Um, but it's just lovely. I think it's just such a charming film. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, as you say, as you guys were saying, it's romantic in the kind of proper sense of the word. It's, it's um, there's like a kind of brightiness and optimism um, that, yeah, I think very few films have. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I think it's almost. And we came. We're discussing. We're releasing this podcast now because of Amelie's anniversary. It's twenty mm. twenty years since Amelie, but even longer, twenty five years since uh, since Lyon. And it's interesting. Amelie came after Lyon, I think, because it. Uh, you arguably perhaps could be criticised for its lack of grit, its lack of diversity, perhaps its, its kind of airbrushed version of Paris in a way. Um, but it doesn't mean it's not good film doesn't have its merits, but it's very much, Lion is almost like an, despite coming first, it's almost like an anti-Amelie in a way, isn't it? Because like you said, Lucy, you know, you, you watch that, I mean, I'm going to go to Paris, I'm going to do this and do that, I'm going to be like Amelie, you know, not realising that, you know, much of Paris and many people living in Paris were feeling frustrations and lies perhaps, I mean, not everyone obviously, but, you know, more akin to things happening in Lyon and, um, mm. 
and Amelie, it's very, it, it, it's a, it's a real bit of cinema, Amelie. I think, isn't it? It's a bit of cinematic magic. Is that really that kind of rare film that really transports you to a different world and a different mindset? I think, which is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. It's a great film to spend some time with, you know. Exactly. Yeah, mindset. That's it. That I think that's the word that we were kind of looking for there. So yeah. Yeah, I think wonderful. Amelie really reminds me of The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. If you've seen, if anyone's seen that one, it's no, a I, French I have, it's on the list, it's on the list. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's a French musical um, and it's, yeah, it's just um... really brightly coloured and, again, romance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's with a, a young Catherine Deneuve, isn't it, I think? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um... And very similar to Amelie, but maybe less kind of carefree, I suppose, but it definitely yes. reminds that. A bit less kooky, maybe. I think perhaps yeah. some people find Amelie a little bit too weird sometimes, I think, a little bit too kind of off-kilter. Um, I, I I really enjoy it, but, um, yeah. And but and we kind of skirted past Lane a bit there again. But um, what do you, Jason, what do you think of the um, the black and white? Because Lane's in black and white, isn't it, the black and white photography? It was yes, makes a creates a very dark mood, doesn't it? You know, a very yeah. downbeat mood, I think. Yeah, it's quite striking, isn't it? I think when a film, when a modern film is in black and white, I always find it's it makes you think about a director's choice. I think, doesn't it? Yeah, sure it does. I think I think Casablanca would would it make the film look darker, you know, or mm. depressing maybe? Yeah, it kind of removes and, and, and that all works, that. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, it, it kind of removes all that. It has great um, cinematography. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant cinematography. It's good. It's, it's everything about that. I think you know. I was, I was pushed to say I think Lion is the best, probably a better film than Amelie. I think, and a film I've seen much less recently. I haven't actually seen it for several years, but um, it, it just has a. It's a more important film, right? You know, and has a power still. You know, look at everything that's happened in the last year or so. You know. That's a mm. film that still has en- enormous power now. It feels daft to use the word relevant because these things are always relevant and always have been relevant. Mm. But it just it is a film that that I think perhaps the the mood that people that we felt in the last year with Black Lives Matter protests and um, although this isn't directly related to the same thing, it's, it's that anger, it's the anger of youth in particular. Because um, the film about young people, isn't it, Jason? Really. Yeah, it is. How three young people view the world. You know, the, the difficulties, the problems that they face. Yeah. You know, the, the anger that they feel. Yeah, it's a film about, I think, male anger as well. And that. Um, yes, but mo- mostly the, about police brutality, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, most about police brutality. I think that these but these men kind of can't. Some of them some of them are a lot more mature than others, aren't they? I yeah. think it's Vincent Cassell's character who is the hothead. He's really the loose yeah. cannon. He cannot be trusted. Um, and these these men, are, these boys are, you know, in, in terms of police brutality, in terms of the system being against, they're the victims, kind of, mm. the film shows. They're the victims of, of what's going on around them on a bigger level. But it doesn't, the film just let them be flawed people, you know, that he does some pretty nasty things, the Vincent Cassell character, and it's it, it shows you the dynamics between them and their own flaws and their own differences, I think, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah, but then no, they yeah. realize that violent that they're not actually they're actually not violent people. They learn exactly. Lesson. This is the thing. Yes. Yeah, it's about it's right. violent societies rather than violent yes. people. They go on a, on a trip of self discovery. 
Så jeg går at. Yeah, Lucy. Is that Lucy? Oh, sorry. Um, I think there's a lot of kind of violent acts in there that they just kind of put on. Um, because I kind of remember Vincent Cassell's character. He just kind of reenacts the taxi driver um yes, speech yes, at the course. at the mirror, and it's almost like they play at being violent and they play at being macho, but they're not really kind of all that because they're kind of young kids. And it's the police who are really violent and really quite aggressive and pose a danger to their lives. But all of the kind of um, play fighting and anger that comes from their point of view, it's genuine anger at the system, but it's also um, just youth as well and being young and not quite grasping um kind of like the importance of life as well i suppose not like they're careless with their lives but it's like they're too young to really know you know how far can they go in this society without having some kind of serious um kind of things happening to them or anything um and i just think it's a really interesting film for its portrayal of violence as well yeah absolutely are there any other films you wanted to mention, Jason? I think you mentioned Life is Beautiful to me earlier. Yeah, sure did. That was a terrific film. Have you guys seen it? I haven't, no. No, it's, it's a terrific... It takes place uh, during World War Two, and about it's about a Jewish man and his family who are taken into a concentration camp, and the father pretends to his son that everything is okay, that they're just playing a game, everybody's there, the prisoners and the Germans. And yes, this is playing a game. It's very, it's, it's a very dramatic and mostly, mostly it's a comedy, but it's very worth seeing. It won the Oscar for best best picture and best actor, and best score. I highly recommend. Yeah, I it. remember it was a very. It's yeah, it's, it's, it won a lot of awards, didn't it? And it was quite a big praise film. I think I think it's quite surprising none of the three of us have seen it really, um, but yeah, I mean that's. It's straying a bit from from Amelie and Lion, obviously different, um, with a different country. But yeah, Roberto Benigni, that was yeah, he won his Oscar, didn't he? And right. um, it's right. mm-hmm. arguably his best film. Yeah, you think? Yeah, he's yes. I, I, I don't know much about Benigni, but I say that's his best film. Yeah, he's he because he's he's, he's, he's 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 acted like he's acted in a lot of English language that so people might recognise him from. He's done some stuff with Jim Jarmusch. I think he was in. Um, I've uh, forgotten which Jim Jim which film it is now, but um, Down by Law that's one in the prison, and yeah, yeah, it's it's, a, it's quite a recognisable film. I think like it I think I've, I'd recognise the poster if I saw it, even if I haven't seen it myself. You know, definitely worth seeing though. Yeah, no, I feel like that's one that we've all all, all added into our watch list, isn't it? Probably. Yeah, um, I think it's along... definitely on my watch list, but I just haven't had a chance to see it yet. Yeah, along with you know, the entirety of um, Christian Petzold's filmography. So, yeah. Um, great. Okay. So, let's um, talk about Pedro Almodovar, Joyce. Yes. Um, this is very exciting for me because I'm actually a native Spanish speaker. Um, and so, I'm able to engage with the films quite well. Um, I don't need them subtitled, which is. A relief, <laughs> even though I don't mind subtitles. Um, so yeah, he's the well, he's the former Spanish director, I would say, and he's known for films that uh, deal with issues like um, 
desire, passion, identity, um, some, you know, one's past, one's history. And I thought it would be quite interesting to maybe um, have a little bit, little bit of a flash uh, through his background, uh, because I think he's quite a historically... Um, his films are quite relevant historically because of because of his background. So he was born in 1949 in Spain and grew up under Franco's dictatorship. Um, I don't know if you don't know how much into history you guys are, but Spain suffered a dictatorship from uh, the 1930s. 1930s up until 1975 so that's the kind of um the kind of spain very oppressive kind of um quiet silent kind of um atmosphere in the country at the time so in 75 um so almodova moves into madrid as a young man with ambitions to study cinema uh, but he can't because the dictatorship government has um closed the national film school um these kind of governments as we know are not much into education or art for that matter so um he kind of did things his own way he got a super 8 camera and started making his own films while working um any job he could find he worked for he worked as a you know as a waiter and he also worked for telecommunications company telefonica uh, in spain so he became part of um, the movement called La Movida Madrilenia uh, in Madrid, which was basically, um, it was a movement like of liberation, you know, it was a youth movement um, of liberation in the country that kind of culturally celebrated the coming of democracy. Um, so he started, he started making films there, short films, which were shown in Madrid bars and Madrid bars are where he found his, um, his actors which have been kind of his um, inspiration his muses ever since um so his first uh yeah he, he his, his beginnings were uh, in 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 the bars of madrid he said that the nightlife in madrid actually has inspired a lot has inspired him a lot in terms of the the comedic elements as well of his films you know the people he spoke to um and the kind of situations that um, <laughs> that unfolded um, in in his youth, and back when he you know started making films, and and people were beginning to kind of enjoy the freedom and almost um, you know exploring the city again. Um, does anyone have any questions so far about any you know Spanish Spain? Or... No, this is this is great. I'm just I'm enjoying this little history lesson. Great, great. <laughs> so yeah, so his first feature film is called Pepe Lucy Bomb and it's it kind of very much sets the scene for you know it kind of sets his thematic and stylistic choices and um and kind of identity because it's um it it explores the relationship between uh young women. So he's uh, this is one of Almodovar's kind of uh, trademark C um, explores um, women's situations and, and relationships between women um, quite a lot. Um, so I think, you know, I, there's kind of three films that I would like to focus on to kind of draw um, draw our kind of knowledge, which is Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, which I think we've, have we seen that one? I've seen that one, yeah. Did you Did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it, yeah. It's been a while since I've seen it now. Um, yeah. It's a, 
it's, it's, it's a good film. It's a very, it's a fun film. It's a- hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Fast, basically, isn't it? It's like a... Yes, and actually, yeah, actually, it's good that you mentioned that because at the, oh, time, it, at the time, it was... Um, like a groundbreaking pace for a film um and you know today is kind of like well as you said even today it seems fast but it's funny to realize like actually it you know we've seen kind of faster films so that was a great kind of little lesson cinema lesson in terms of the a film's pacing in the script um also julieta is one of my favorite ones have you guys seen that i've seen julieta very recently yeah. actually just last month and yeah it's same. actually the first of his films that I've seen but I really enjoyed it I was just like immediately more please want to see more of his stuff immediately <laughs> yeah I mean so those two are kind of quite similar in a way they, they deal with very female focused stories and we have we have the same use of color the same use of you know the same kind of cinematographic style um the same kind of boldness to it and um also the casting because there's a recurrent actress there it's called Rosie de Palma and she's one of Almodovar's muses as well um so yes um and then there's also Bad Education which is a good example that's it's it's a very different film to the ones that I've just mentioned I don't know if you've guys seen that one um it's quite a heart-hitting one I haven't no that's um no that's one of the ones I haven't seen um but yeah. I mean, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. So it's a very, I think, what, dark, um, isn't it? yeah, yeah. It's it's a very heart hitting film. It's typical Almodovar, um, in the sense of the the characterizations, but also the plot twist. Um, so it's a very heart hitting but interesting. Um, I feel quite exploratory film. Um, and the I think the casting on that one is incredible. There's the Mexican actor um, Gael Garcia Bernal. I don't know if you guys have seen any any of his other works, um, but his 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 character transformation I thought was incredible. Like I am, um, he's got if you if you watch the film, um, he's just got the most expressive eyes in the world. I think just generally and also for an actor. So I, I thought that was um, to me that film stood out because of the the performances um so yeah and you know the kind of um in bad education I thought the editing was quite interesting which you know as you were talking um Andrew about pacing so um I always found that quite interesting with with Almodovar films um so 
yeah so this is um these are the, his thematic choices and, and stylistic choices um he has said you know i find his um well his use of character really in all of the three films that we've gone through um i feel like it's um it's very original you know it's it's pure him he uses people with he uses actors with very particular expressive faces i don't know if you guys would agree comparing him to um, you know, other kind of directors and, and, and script writers. Yeah, absolutely. No, he, he has like a kind of almost like a, a group of players, doesn't he? He has a lot of actors yes. who he uses a lot. He has some quite famous ones who he uses multiple times, Antonio Banderas and Penelope Cruz. But Yes, exactly. Yeah. But and like I, in smaller roles, you know. Um, yes, exactly. Carmen Mora is one of them. And yeah, you're right. People, quite colourful actors who, who you've seen, you know, you know they're really... They're, not, they're never doing anything boring and he's never making a boring film, you know. Exactly, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, casting's one of his, his, his kind of standout, um, it's always a standout creative choice for me as well. And yeah, as you, you, you know, we mentioned that he has like a kind of company of actors. He is actually from a theatre background as well. Um, and he's, you know, yeah, I mean, he says he has a recurring relationship with um, Antonio Banderas, Penelope, Penelope Cruz, as we mentioned. And he talked about, you know, one of his first, his very first conversation with Antonio Banderas was they met at a bar in Madrid and he told, and he told him, he, he um, Almodovar told Antonio, oh, I think you need to do films because you have a, the most romantic face. So I feel like he's got a he's got a sensitivity for the actor's work because he was also an actor in his in his very, very early days. Um, That's a great so compliment. In terms of, <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, having having been told that, why wouldn't you want to work for me? I mean, you, you know, as somebody who's done drama, I feel like if a director says that to you you can probably tell they're going to understand you and they're going to be able to draw things out of you as well so I think inevitably somebody who's the person who's directing you kind of needs to be inspired and you know it doesn't necessarily have to be about good look versus bad look because I mean these don't exist but it's it's what they see in you kind of like it's it's the sensitivity almost mm. um so I find that really really interesting with him as a director because you know he, the way that he keeps casting uppermost in his mind um and he he takes it as almost part of the not just essential to the production which it would be but almost part of the essence of the film and the essence of the story is is the expressiveness of the actors um so I think yeah these are the reasons why i like it i think you know he's known for almost dark comedy you know that that's that's almost his style particularly with bad education because it, it you know it deals with some um very raw serious issues um and this is the thing about Almodova, you know, the, I think the reason why he's so foremost is foremost is because he manages to bring to the fore um, aspects of Spanish society were, were, which were kind of had been deliberately and almost expertly hidden and made taboo by the dictatorship. So there's a lot of um, kind of social and e even sexual liberation, you know, in, in the terms of the colours, the clothes, the the situations unfolding is, is this feeling of freedom. But he also, I think he also has a very very deep almost heightened sense of of pain as well you could say as, as well as beauty um and this kind of sensitivity um 
sensitivity towards people who don't usually come to the foremost of um of sort of the stories that we see in in in, in culture so he you know he brings interesting characters to the fore and important stories to tell to the fore so that's that's what i would say i don't know if you guys are happy to discuss like favorite scenes in women on the verge of breakdown and julieta about education um so yeah i just thought to make, make it more mm. of an exchange i hope that was intelligible that was, <laughs> that no, that was, was really interesting Thank wonderful you so much. yeah no that was great <laughs> joyce done it's um yeah he's a, he's a great film isn't it? i think like i say it's been a while since i saw Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, but I remember the franticness of it, and like you say, the colours, and I think maybe that was the first Armadillo film I saw, or maybe it was, um, maybe it was Julieta, because I think Julieta's the only one I've seen in, the, in a cinema, and I remember seeing Julieta, and it's, it's, this, it's just a kind of melodrama, isn't it, it's the colours, mm-hmm. and um, the, if we're talking, if we're talking favourite scenes, and that is quite specific, but uh, there's a, a bit in Julieta with, um, with the hair. It's on the poster, isn't it? Where she's washing yeah. her hands, the towel, and she's supposed to, and then it's, she's, the, she's the older version, or the younger version. Yes, from, yeah. How much I mean, way around it goes. The yeah. kind of cinematic choice of that, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a flourish, isn't great. it? It's a, he's a director with real flair. Mm, yeah. Um, I don't know if anybody's seen... So I've seen those two. Um, I've also seen Bob Air. I don't know if anybody's seen that. Um, that's seen, one that though. I yet have to see, actually. But yeah. um, again, the the, the storyline is quite hard hitting as well. I think, isn't it? It is. That's one of his more serious ones. But it has got a comedy to it. Again, it's got lovely colours and there's a warmth. Even his his darker films, I think, they all have a warmth to them. Um, yes. And then also, I don't know if anybody saw um, if anybody saw the Human Voice. We were talking before about people transfer into English language and this yeah it's his first one yeah yeah it was yeah. just a short film so that's um it was in in good part of the London Film Festival um mm-hmm. where, where I saw it and yeah that's that's great that's quite short and that again has that flair to it you know there's bits in there where there's, there's flames going on and there's all sorts of it's it's very yeah um, he has a flair for the dramatic and he takes these kind of ordinary people's lives and twists them into quite extraordinary, bright, kind of otherworldly things, you know. Yeah, and I think that's, yeah, you know, me- melodrama is definitely a word that I would use for him. And also, you know, he brings, he almost, um, or I, I'm struggling to find the right word because validation came into my head, but it's almost like he, 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 he makes ordinary people's lives seem dramatic which they are you, mm. you know they i think that you, you know the, the more ordinary the more dramatic actually to me so that kind of deep delving into everyday life and the drama and the and the theater frankly of everyday you know you i think all throughout you can tell that he's been in theater he i think he adores it really um that's the feeling i get um he, he sets a very theatrical um yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, in in Julieta, the the, the whole sequence on the train. Um, oh gosh, yeah, it's amazing. I found it really dreamy. I felt like I, I actually wondered for a bit there if she would. Yeah, it's yeah, just dreamy, dreamy, dreamy. I mean, the colours were kind of made sense, but kind of didn't. And it was just like, what's going on here? It's just <laughs> yeah, it's kind of when, um, wonderful. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, particularly when she's on the train and there's, I think it's, 
a moose or deer or probably not yes. a moose if it's in Spain, <laughs> but yeah, a deer yeah, yeah. or something is like running alongside the train. And yeah. you're just thinking that would not happen in real life. But unlike a film where it would really take you out and you'd be thinking, a deer running right past the train. But with this one, you're yeah, really yeah. taken with this kind of magical sense to it, even though it's like technically quite a grounded film. I mean, the plot does just follow um, this woman's relationship with like various different people, most importantly, her daughter. But it's got this magical quality that I really like, but it's not fantasy and it's not like tangible magic, but it feels magical. Yes. Yeah. And actually, I found that scene quite... um yeah I found I found it very personal because it reminded me of a, a, a personal anecdote which just, just to digress a bit I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you so we were in a family holiday in the new forest and it was nighttime, and we were driving through one of those roads in the new forest that you know just getting back to the little hotel that we were in and I was kind of having my um well not nap because it was already nighttime but I was sleeping in the car as you do I just I just sleep on cars I don't know why um and I just suddenly heard my mum go look 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 behind you look behind you and there was like a there was a white heart so a white deer crossing the road and kind of um looking at us and it felt oh like gosh. again that felt that it, it was like I might because it was nighttime and its eyes were kind of shining and it was a white one as well it was like like you know I felt like it was some sort of message from life because you don't usually see a white deer do you so um no they're very that, rare that scene reminded me so fully of that situation and there's there's such a beauty to it even though there's um no spoilers here but it ends up being a bit gruesome in the film Mm. but yeah um yeah real beauty to that sequence yeah yeah definitely the kind of real magic that really does exist in this world but brought to a more kind of cinematic level almost Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. i haven't seen more films but now i'm just like right bright colors melodrama fascinating like character studies sign me up I can't wait yeah I mean you know even in the most um sort of heart-hitting situations he finds he finds real humor and he finds real beauty and it's kind of this innate force for life almost you know the more in pain you are the, the the kind of um, the more you push back against that kind of pain and despair and and the more the more theater comes and I think just it, it's just beautiful I mean it's a it's a beautiful way to you know try and get through feel uh, through through things if you you know kind of I wish we could all just do that you know be <laughs> for film standards to be acceptable in life basically because you can't really take life as that but um it's a real life force that I find in in his in his work really, mm. um, and there was I think there was something he said actually which I'd be interested to hear in because um, he said in an interview um, you know because he mostly deals with women women's stories and he said yes I do write women's stories and the re- the kind of he was clarifying that the reason why they're so melodramatic is because he can't bring himself to write about you know just simply a happy woman you know he said if he was going to write about a happy woman and her happy family he would have to be very very ironic I mean what yeah. do you guys think about that um do, do, I mean, uh, you know it, it could be a creative statement it could be a political statement I I see quite a lot of force in that what do you guys I think if you, I mean, if you have any thoughts. Sorry, I think that's quite a political statement, but 
Mm-hmm. Immediately when you said that sentiment, um, I was reminded of Varda's film Le Bonheur, if anybody's seen that. Um, and it's a film where they, this, this couple have a perfect marriage and it's full of beautiful sunflowers. The um, photography is gorgeous. And this man has a beautiful wife. But really, it's all very surface level. And he is a very surface level character as well. And actually, his wife is really suffering and he's unable to see it. Um, And yeah, that's the kind of little anecdote that I really was reminded when you said that. And I suppose that even if you're the happiest person alive, there's going to be things that happen in your life that you'll have, that'll be challenges and you'll have to overcome or you'll struggle with. That having a kind of happy woman um, who's married to um, and she stays at home to have the kids isn't particularly interesting or um, like reflective. If nothing really happens, if all she does is like have all this happiness, you know, what is that actually saying? And I'm not saying, you know, um, you have to be unhappy if you're like at home um, you know, married and, and looking after kids. I'm just saying that from a film perspective, um, it's quite unusual just to have a film full of just happy characters where life is great throughout the the runtime. I think there has to be some kind of strife and um, a bit of horribleness that has to happen for something, for people to be interested and for things to change, you know? Yeah, and I mean the it's the you know I mean it, this this various different kind of lives and experiences, but there is, there is brutality to life, and I do I you know I, as much as I love a film like Emily, um, because it just again it just gives you that kind of um, that flair for the kind of the beautiful, the calm, the kind. The life is brutal, and I do like seen that acknowledged in film and it's brutal not in the sense of you know some kind of like apocalyptic scene or anything it's actually kind of everyday brutal and Almodovar has a way of really bringing that to the fore but in a way that isn't teary or in a way that never makes you feel sorry for yourself it's just kind of forceful kind of brutal and and you just you know it's what what's kind of what's the next fight but also what's the next nice thing that I'm going to see what's the next person that I'm going to fall in love with and all Mm. and 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 all of these things um and also people people coming onto the you know people coming kind of finding their power uh and and women as 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 he says you know um and you know it's it's his his sensitivity to the fact that no matter how perfect or calm you think somebody's life is there's always something going on is it there's always going to be this internal drama you know they're always going to have questions they're always going to have things that they wondered if they'd done they always have things they want and they don't have you know it's um and I really think you know no matter how you know how far-fetched a plot can be and how kind of intricate and theatre like the character work is it's very real the essence of it is very real I find in his films so yeah yeah um I really connected to Julieta even though it's quite melodramatic and I Mm -hmm. 
don't have a daughter who is 20 years older than me. I mean, I don't have a daughter at all. <laughs> um, but it was weird because even though these experiences are not my own and I don't really have much to relate to them, mm -hmm. I felt like I did relate and I could relate to what was going on emotionally for the characters as well. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm a big lover of melodrama as well. So anytime melodrama is on screen, I'm like, fabulous. This was yeah. evidently made for me. <laughs> Just kind of glued to Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, yeah. And the other thing to say about Almodovar, actually, is how kind of loyal he stayed to Spain. You know, as we were saying, he's, he's only ever done one film in English, and that's been literally in the past year and it was so short as well yeah it, exactly so he spent his whole career with um kind of looking at looking at his own society and and his own um country with you know his people's own uh, own idiosyncrasies and you don't you know not to seem small-minded but I think that's a feat for somebody creative who you would think innately kind of wants to expand and see more and see more you know the fact that it was almost a conscious decision to think, no, I'm going to keep exploring here. Mm. And, you know, obviously he's, he's lucky that he's had decades to do it and he still can do it, but interesting choice as well, I think. Um, yeah. Mm. Comparable to other European directors, maybe, or not, I don't know. Let's yeah, just compare him to Christian Petzold for the, yeah. for the yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting you mentioned Petzold again, because... Almodovar, I think, is one of the names that we do know and does get banded around a lot and is kind of a new film from him, is a big deal in a way that, like you were saying, Christian Petzold doesn't get talked about in that same breath, perhaps. Um, yeah. I Wonderful. do wonder... If, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. Um, I wonder if it's because he championed people like Penelope Cruz quite early on in her career and then she became a Hollywood star if people would kind of latched onto his work, maybe because of that as well. Yeah. I don't know. That's yeah, no, I really agree. And I think she she has made films with him after being famous as well. I mean, yeah. Antonio Banderas as well, he launched his career and then he came back into Pain and Glory, got Oscar nominated. And that's the kind of thing that's, that's going to draw in audiences, that crossover appeal. Mm. That we yeah. well, I've seen them before. I want to see what they do now, you know. Mm. Yeah, and I think there is that crossover appeal, and also like the lack of historical. Like you're saying, there's a great loads to say about the historical background in Almodovar's life. Joyce, yeah. but, but his films have you have a kind of weird freewheeling um, idiosyncrasy that means you anyone can watch them, anyone could relate to them in a way. Um, yeah, you know, they're about human yeah. nature and sexuality, and love and death and all that. Um, yeah, yeah, as like I'm sure, yeah. Yeah, just a heightened sense of anything, which is um, mm. it is unique. I mean, it's very him, I think. So, yeah, great. Okay, um, the I suppose I, I'm the only one who's not championed something yet. Um, although <laughs> I've been rabbiting on anyway, but I I'm going to mention um, I'm going to talk a bit about Italian film because um, it's not something I would ever claim to be an expert in, but it's something. I've always had a probably a greater interest in than other other cinema. Um, I um, particularly I just want want to mention Italian neorealism, which was a, a sort of one of those great European film movements 
uh, in which lots of films were made and of a certain type and certain style and for certain reasons. Um, I think the most famous kind of movement in cinema that people will sing of the French New Wave. So you've got the films of Truffaut and um, Godard and things like that and Agnes Varda and all these filmmakers who kind of rewrote the rules and, you know, did things their own way and changed cinema forever, really. And you can, they influenced a lot of American directors like Martin Scorsese and, and so on and so forth. And Italian neorealism kind of, kind of had a role in that as well, really. Um, I think if we're talking about European cinema and the greats and the legends and particularly Italian film. I think, as I've mentioned a couple of times already, Fellini's film, Fellini's name comes up, Federico Fellini's name often comes up. He's the kind of um, figure, it's almost parodical figure, I think, Fellini of kind of, of the film buff, the film people will go and see a sort of Fellini marathon at the BFI, you know, that kind of thing. And But kind of, before him, and including him, in fact, he started some of his earlier films were neorealist films before he did all this fantastical stuff. And I like, and I don't know what other people's thoughts on Fellini are, if we've seen any Fellini films. I've seen La Strada. I've actually got to, yeah. you seen what, sorry? La Strada, I think. La Strada, I yeah. have seen La Strada, but... Um, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So exactly. I, 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 I've, I, um, I've, 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 I've watched Amarcord a couple of times, and I do have some affection for that film. He's great. The greats are uh, like Dolce Vita and Eight and a Half are the, the kind of the big two in a way, and and they're films that I appreciate and see the quality in and the beauty in, and I find I just find leave me cold. I find that kind of filmmaking often leaves me cold. For all its skill, and I'm sure it, 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 it's evidently there, and for all its meaning and importance and influence, which I'm sure of. But neorealists, the neorealists have a much more low key, naturalistic approach. It's the word realism is in there, you know. So it was neorealism, I'm not going to go full history lesson, but neorealism was came in the Pope after the First World War, sorry, Second World War, um, and um, and was born out of kind of post-war deprivation and a crumbled, crumbling film industry. Um, you know, Italy was obviously um, fascist during the war with Mussolini, and then um, the film industry, there was a lot of tussles between America, the Americans taking it over, and because the, some of the nearest filmmakers had, um, through essentially, I mean, this is always up for debate, these kind of things, but I think to an extent through through little choice had kind of, been forced to make propaganda films and um, and things like that. But post-war, you then get this boom in films that are made with no budget and no means, really. And it, it made people, it made directors, people like Vittorio De Sica and Roberto Rossellini are the two most biggest names in there, really. It made people go out onto the street and, and sets um, were perhaps harder to come by. It's not just because of that. I think it was just... It brought film back to people and to the people, and we, we, you know, if you think of a classic Hollywood film, and this I think influenced. If you then skip forward thirty years to Martin Scorsese, Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, and the kind of ho- new ho- American New Hollywood directors, they took ideas from the French New Wave and from Italian Neorealism, and uh, moved away from the, the Hollywood studio system, big sound stage and stuff, and. And get out on the streets, and so films like Bicycle Thieves, Rome, and City, they use a lot of um, 
real locations. And another thing, particularly bicycle thieves, um, he uses a lot of non-professional actors. And so people put in these incredible performances um, and really stay with you. But there's a, a just a human, very normal quality to them. So I think I'll, I'll give a big shout out to... Um, to Rome Open City, Roma Città Aperta, which is a film I, I love. It's, it's that uh, tells a tale about resistance fighters in fascist during World War Two, and their their struggle basically. And there's some harrowing thing. I mean, for for a film that's so old and therefore shows so little in terms of violence compared to what we're used to today, it's still really harrowing. Um, I don't know if has anybody seen Rome Open City. I have. No. Um, no. It really hits. It's yeah. Because I think it was made during the war. If I'm correct in that, I don't know. Yes, um, I think you might be right. Yeah, like yeah, no, I think it was under the cover of darkness, kind of yes. thing, hidden from the kind of Italian um, authorities. Mm. Um, and I really just think it's a very, very strong work. Although I did kind of do a double bill with it with Bicycle Thieves. And I think mm. I was just emotionally worn out from Bicycle Thieves. and really <laughs> should not yeah. have just watched like Rome Open City straight after. That was not my brightest moment. No, no, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I um, think I was kind of wrung out by the end. I was just like, this is too sad. I can't. Um, but I really, really loved it. Um, it yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, I remember when I was at university, I wrote a, um, I wrote a, a thing, an essay about Rome and City, and it, it, what I was writing about was it required me. There's a there's a scene without giving too much of the way. I mean, it's a film about war. There's a scene where somebody dies in um, in a film about a war. Surprise, surprise. Um, and the scene where I was at the end, the thing I was writing about required me to rewatch this scene of somebody getting killed oh, like gosh. twenty times on repeat. Because oh, I was awful. because I was I was analysing the shot composition and things and um and the meanings and oh it doesn't really matter what it was for, but I just remember watching oh, this is just so depressing, you know, I need a I need to lie down. But nevertheless a great film and um perhaps not the best example of the kind of neo realist thing. Perhaps I think that does come with Bicycle Thieves because that's really a film. It's on the streets and with the people and it's just yeah. about a lot of films, so that was scripted by, interestingly, Roman City, one of the script, people who worked on that script was Federico Fellini. Uh, oh, really? Young Fellini. Oh, wow. Yeah, he, um, <laughs> he, he worked on the script. So he was in he was within the, in these people, and he made Eva Toloni, which is a, a kind of neorealist film, I think, and um, before he made a lot of his more famous stuff. And you know, a big figure in this was Cesare Zavattini, who I think not that many people know because he didn't direct very many films. But he was kind of one of the founding fathers of this idea of neorealism, I think, and the, the manifesto almost, I think, if there even really was one. But that kind of the ideas a lot came from him. And he's a script writer who worked on script for um, Bicycle Thieves. with, uh, And so that was directed by Vittorio De Sica, as was Umberto D. I don't, has anybody seen Umberto D? I thought about watching it. And then no, I that's fine. Need, the hard-hitting bit might might not be... Yes. But whenever I was going to watch it, but not that, not not that many people have seen it um, compared to say Bicycle Thieves, um, yeah. but a very good film, very good film, similar style. So 
the Seeker and Zavatidis films are what I, I they're the near in terms I know really, and they have this focus on often on people struggling with poverty um, and and just normal ordinary people and just the kind of daily routine and the the misery and also the joy in their life. You know, there's there's hope. There's a, I think in the realism in the realist films there's always hope. There's always mm. some kind of magic. There's always some kind of glimmer of, of, of happiness there. I think in Bicycle Thieves it's the relationship between the the man the man and his son. In Umberto D it's between a man and his dog. Um and, and there's love in this in those films and there's hope and there's goodness. There's real goodness in people that you yeah. kind of hope and you hope will prevail even even if it doesn't always within the plot, you know. Um so yeah, um Bicycle Thieves, then we'll stick to Bicycle Thieves. I'm jumping all over the place here because I think who who has seen Bicycle Thieves? I've seen it. I haven't, I'm afraid. Oh, that's that's fine. Um very quickly then Bicycle Thieves is about a um basically a bike gets stolen. That's that's pretty much the plot really a bike gets stolen um it's a man and his son they have basically no money in and there's a lot of unemployment and then the the dad gets a job um but he needs a bike to be able to get around and to do the job um and he has a bike and his bike gets stolen and they're left with nothing basically that's all kind of hope all their hopes and dreams and food and money and income and everything he's got because somebody nicked his bike and it, from there, it's just this just story, very, quite a short film of the, a man and his son kind of trying to cope with this, really. Um, and I find it's very affecting, very moving film that just, it just so low-key and just revels in the detail and the small moments in life, I think, that, that make up the whole. Um, what, do you, what do you think of Bicycle Thieves, Jason? Yeah, it's a very... Very realistic film, I'd say. It shows how hard life was at the, was in those days, and particularly the ending is very moving. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Lucy. Um, I I love it. Um, I've really got into more kind of neorealist Italian cinema recently as well, mm. and I just feel like it just taps into some kind of emotional, um, like it just gets me very emotional, and especially the scene in Bicycle Thieves because it's played over a weekend, essentially. It's like one day or maybe, I think it is just the Sunday where they have to find this bike until the Monday. And throughout the day, there is moments of kind of elation and they might find a bike and they're on the right trail. Then moments of complete despair. Mm. And Mm. there is a moment where the father believes that everything's going to be okay and he's found the bike or that he will find the bike. Um, And this job, I think he's a um, a poster. Um, yeah, he like puts posters puts up. Yeah, posters up. Like a yeah. poster almost. Yeah, yeah, and he believes that you know because of this new job he'll be able to really kind of lift his family up out of poverty, and he treats his son while they're on this search for this bike to like quite a really extravagant meal in um, a restaurant, and I was literally there just watching it, crying, thinking, "My gosh, you know." What if he doesn't actually find this bike? What if hope is lost? And I just think yeah. it's it's such a powerful film over with such a, 
a simple um, construct. It's a man who's lost his bike and needs to find it. But it just taps into something very kind of like innate. And I just think it's brilliant, honestly. I think it's absolutely brilliant. <laughs> it is, yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a masterpiece, really. It's just one of those... One of those rare films that has a certain alchemy to it, I think, that just some simplicity, some it's just there's just an idea. It's a very simple idea and it's played out and it works so well and it, it captures a moment in time and it's, it has influence and stretch and moves people for I mean, we're talking a very, very long time now that people have been watching that film and enjoying it. You know. So I think, yeah, it's it's something that's so important that it, it can never be forgotten. There's very few films like that. Very few films like that. So, yeah, has anybody got anything else to say on Bicycle Thieves? I think it's so it, historically so relevant because, um, again, a bit of a personal uh, point here, but I was born in Argentina and my family's descended from Britain and Italy um a sort of diaspora of um you know kind of crisis reading europe to latin america and and these were in italy the kind of realities that 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 a lot of people were escaping um you know the the misery and the kind of the lack of opportunity was such that people had to just pack up and leave and see if they can get something somewhere else so i think your point about you know whether um you know about how worth it how worth it it is to have it portrayed in film that that's something the country went through i think it's uh i mean it must be deeply deeply poignant to see it on film so no absolutely it really is um well okay so we're we're nearing the end now i think um we've managed to keep it at a tight 80 at the moment 80 minutes um is there anything anybody else wanted to shout out while we're here you know i mean like i said we this has been a whistle stop tour of european cinema really and we've just sort of championed our own little favorites and stuff are there any films that you kind of can't bear for us to stop recording without having <laughs> mentioned well just kind of hopping on the italian neorealism thing Ooh. i think i think it would just be awful of me to have a european cinema podcast and not mention um rossio and his brothers which Mm. I think is amazing and it's a kind of saga of um, a family and I think it's six brothers who move up from southern Italy to Milan and it's just how like the fact that the family kind of breaks up and separates into um, some brothers who are kind of destined to be um, evil characters almost and I think it's absolutely great and I'm always thinking I need to rewatch Rossi and his brothers. Is can I fit in a three-hour film today? <laughs> Usually the answer is no, but um, it's definitely one of my favourites. And I only discovered it this year, but wow, yeah, that's that's an amazing film. So I thought it would be bad if I didn't mention it. Essentially, <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. Jason, anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, has anyone seen the 2018 film Border? No, but I do want. I want to. Yeah, I want to. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a Swedish film, and it's about this woman. She works as a customs officer, 
and she is a bit deformed and she has an extraordinary extraordinary sense of smell and she meets uh, someone a guy who looks like her his appearance is similar and she discovers that she is actually a troll yeah it's it's a thriller it's a fantasy thriller yes yeah no i I heard about it when it came out um I think that was also our London Film Festival at some point, and I missed it. And um, no, that was the film I definitely wanted to see, and it's quite an unusual one that that made a bit of a splash, didn't it? And I think uh, yes, yes, it's a very good film. The, the makeup and acting is terrific. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Joyce, anything else you wanted to shout out? I mean, this feels slightly a bit indulgent, but I have I, I have still yet to see Call Me By Your Name, which um, I've been waiting to do, just like waiting to have a second to really sit down and watch that mm. film. So speaking of uh, Italian filmmaking, mm. yeah. Definitely, yeah, I remember um, I, I, I've been trying to carve out time for that for ages as well. There's just too much, isn't there? There's too much. I, for myself, I think there's... I mean, like I said at the start, we've we've had a lot of, um, partly perhaps because of the way we we learn about film, we think about film, film history. We've been very Western European focused, and um, I just there's a film that I don't think many people know from those I've spoken to. Um, brilliant Romanian film came out a few years ago called Graduation, and um, by Christian Mungiu about um, a man trying to get his daughter into university, essentially. I think, and just a the amount of corruption going on in in his society and the kind of moral dilemmas of of giving into it and becoming morally corrupt yourself for the good of your child and that kind of classic moral dilemma. Um, great film. Um, the the Pavel Pavlovsky's um, either either um, one of them might be pronounced right, um, which is a great quite short Polish film. Um, that's really really interesting as well, um, and and I do I do love my Scandinavian stuff. I mentioned another round earlier, the Thomas Vinterberg film, so I'll mention that again. Um, so yeah, well, so many films that we haven't really got time to mention, but I feel like we've all been able to champion something today, haven't we? Really, exactly. Yeah, yeah. wonderful. So all that remains really there is for me to thank Jason. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lucy. No problem. And thank you, Joyce. Pleasure, pleasure. It's thank you, guys. Goodbye. Awesome teachers. <laughs> yes, no, it's been wonderful. I feel like you gave us the best history lesson of all, Joyce. Um, <laughs> so it's goodbye from us. I hope you enjoyed the UK Film Review podcast on European cinema. Don't forget to keep listening to all the other episodes, all the wonderful episodes with ourselves and other members of the UK Film Review team of which there are many and they're all wonderfully talented. So thank you very much for listening and hope to see you next time. Bye. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.